For the last several years, a group of scholars at the University of Michigan, in cooperation with the Gershwin family estates, has been laboring on creating the first ever critical edition of George and Ira Gershwin's mountain of work. Having completed new editions of An American in Paris and Rhapsody in Blue, the U of M's Gershwin Initiative is ready to take a new Porgy and Bess for a test drive. Joining me now from Ann Arbor, our professor of voice, Daniel Washington, who has appeared on stage at different times in the roles of Porgy and Crown, and Professor Mark Clegg, the director of the Gershwin Initiative. Welcome, professors. Thank you so Thank much. You. Happy to be here. Let me begin with you, Mark, uh, and if you could briefly explain for people who haven't been following this story, what is a critical edition and why do we need one? Well, the main reason we need one is because um, George Gershwin dry, died quite suddenly of a brain tumor in 1937 at only the age of 38 years old. And so he never had a time to sort of curate the legacy of his creations, to really work with publishers, to clean them up. I think he also came from a variety of so many different musical traditions, working with you know, Tin Pan Alley song, Broadway, classical music, opera, sort of all of these different things. And the, the editorial traditions of those different genres are also different. And he worked with a publisher, Harms Music, that really came more out of the popular sphere. And I think with some of the materials, um, you know, they may not have have gotten the treatment that we would give today. I think the other real reason is because he had such a creative and fertile mind that with Porgy and Bess in particular, he created the piano vocal score first, and that went into production to provide the singer's material to start memorizing the pieces. I mean, Daniel can attest to just how exhausting and ginormous this work is. Um, and then while he was orchestrating the piano vocal score, he changed his mind, as any creative artist is going to do, especially one you know, rooted in the traditions of improvisation and jazz and, and piano. So he um, added a few bars here, it's transition, he took a couple, few bars out there, he added some more themes, and what resulted is that we have um, conflicting performing materials where the literally the piano vocal score for Porgy and Bess um, doesn't have the same number of measures as the full orchestral <laughs> score. So wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it, hold it, hold it. Did, did I hear that correctly? <laughs> After all these years, one of them is, is a few measures short? No, it's sort of like they keep, sh keep shifting. It's sort of like you know when you watch the windshield wipers in, in the car and they go back and forth and they, sometimes they line up and sometimes they, they diverge. It's more like that because <laughs> it constantly changes throughout the score. And so conductors, I'm including a member of our editorial board, Andrew Litton, who's an old friend of the family, you know, was conducting in Europe and um, some of the members of the Gershwin family came backstage and said, you know, you've got to do something about it. You've got to fix this problem. This is crazy. After this many years, that these performance materials are still so flawed. And uh, that's actually was the catalyst to our entire Gershwin initiative here at Michigan was the problems with the performance materials of Borgie and Bess. And that sparked the Gershwins to action. And they commissioned Wayne Shirley, a scholar at the Library of Congress who had worked with George's original manuscripts for decades, to create the new critical edition and performing edition. Wow. And uh, the how long have you been working on Porgy and Bess specifically? How long did it take you to get to this point? Well, Wayne started his edition in 2002. And on day one of the Michigan Critical Edition project, we had his manuscript sitting on my desk. And so we started that um, in 2013. And now, you know, five years later, we're ready to give it a test drive. Wow, fantastic. I should mention that uh, if you're a fan of Gershwin and Porgy and Bess, uh, or if you just want to get 
uh, your feet wet in the the discussions of the various aspects of this, you should go to Ann Arbor, check into a hotel on Friday, uh, maybe Thursday, because Friday and Saturday are big Gershwin days at the, the U of M. There's an all-day symposium on Friday that is free. It'll be at the Harlan Hatcher Graduate Library. Uh, and on Saturday at 2 o'clock, the uh, symposium continues. And then in the evening, a staged performance, uh, no sets, just uh, a lot of great music, the complete and new critical edition of Porgy and Bess in Hill Auditorium at 7.30. So I mean, it sounds just fabulous. Well, one thing we just discovered is, or learned is that um, the Detroit Symphony will actually be playing my new edition of American Paris on Friday. So if you go either to the afternoon concert or the um, evening concert or check in on the webcast, um, you'll be able to hear, have a whole Gershwin critical edition weekend. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's exciting. We just, Leonard Slotkin just decided last week, right? I think actually he decided a long time ago, but he told his staff last week. Ah, right. Now, gentlemen, let me bring up something that, that confuses me a little bit. So there's a Porgy and Bess that we're sort of familiar with, and then the Gershwin estate engaged Diane Paulus to make a version that was shorter and, and I guess, more modern. Uh, and now this Porgy and Bess critical edition, I imagine, puts back all the stuff that everybody took out. That's correct. All of that's being put back, which makes the piece quite long. I imagine. But it, we, we get to experience uh, all of uh, Gershwin's grandeur in terms of putting this opera together. And it is an opera. Um, and I think that the reason they were given uh, permission to do that other version was to make it shorter and more palatable for uh, a theater-going or a musical theater-going public. Um, but, but Porgy and Bess is definitely an opera and should always be considered as one. Part of what your goal is, is to put, to have a, a, a definitive, comprehensive version for scholars to consult and other musicians to consult. Uh, and it, does it work as, I, I know what you're going to say, but d does, does it work as a performance? As a, do you prefer the complete version versus the streamlined versions? I personally uh, prefer the complete version, absolutely. Um, and, and normally, and I'm sure that that will be, continue to be the case, normally there are judicious cuts in the complete version, and I'm sure that will continue to be a practice. Um, so, uh, but that, that version is definitely the version that I prefer, the longer version that is actually all of Gershwin. In, in, the, in the shorter version, there, there were some changes that were made. There were some changes with the orchestration. Um, some lines were given to, to best that ordinarily other people would be singing or speaking. Um, so I, I, I just prefer the, the original version. My guests are Daniel Washington, professor of voice at the University of Michigan and someone who's appeared on stage in Porgy and Bess, and Mark Clegg, who's the director of the Gershwin Initiative at the University of Michigan. Uh, this production, this, this piece of art, uh, from the beginning has had a bit of controversy. That's very true. That's very true. And, and uh, audiences and performers have had kind of a, a love-hate relationship with the piece. What's your uh, personal 
situation? Well, my personal feeling about it is that it's a, it's a fantastic piece, and I, I think it's a wonderful example of, of uh, American music at its best. Um, I understand that some people think that the piece is a, a, a true representation of, of the, the African-American community, but it, like every other opera, is uh, a composer's version of what they think is typical for that culture. Just like Buccini's version of Madama Butterfly is, is his mm. idea of what, uh, of what Japanese culture is like. Um, and Gershwin, Gershwin did do his research. He spent a lot of time in, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina and the area. Uh, he went to churches to hear uh, music from, from that area to, to get the style right. So he did his research. Um, and I think that it, it represents uh, a slice of African-American culture. And that is its job. Its job is not to uh, present uh, African-American culture as it's seen every day. There are some gritty parts to the opera, but I think it's, um, it's, it's Gershwin's idea of what, what the opera should be like. I find it to have a lot of the elements of any grand opera in terms of the conflict between the various people involved and, and the, the struggle to, to work out those issues. Uh, and, I mean, let's face it, an awful lot of grand opera without the music would not be very credible. Right, exactly. I would agree. I mean, just the music really brings the whole opera together and brings the kind of human emotion and passion that makes this opera, I think, appeal to certain universal representations of just all human beings. And that's part of its power. I mean, for me, Porgy and Bess has a kind of activist core. I mean, in the sense of, I think George Gershwin had a story about America, and he thought that that story had to include and sort of come out of the African-American community. It's a story that you know, didn't get the kind of attention on the stage. There was, there was a pretty strong African-American theatrical tradition with, you know, pieces like Shuffle Along and stage works in New York in particular. But by putting Gershwin's fame and his popularity in the 1930s um, with this work, it, it sort of exploded and, you know, really became, you know, the masterpiece that it is. But it was given attention and treatment and, and featured and resources that, you know, a lot of African-American artists at that time couldn't probably gain for themselves. And one of the things for me that, that underpins this activist role is, is the fact that George Gershwin was offered $5,000 by the Metropolitan to premiere his next opera. And he actually turned it down. And that was because he didn't want to use a white chorus in Porgy and Bess. He, he found that that falsified it. And that's, I, don't, I think that's both a storytelling aspect, that he didn't want to perpetuate the blackface tradition of someone like Al Jolson, mm. but also I think he really believed in the quality of the artistry that these performers could bring to the stage and wanted to give them a kind of platform. Um, I think in, in some ways he was, I think, a little bit tired of telling the normal Broadway story. He wanted to d have a different story to tell. But he did bring Porgy and Bess originally to Broadway, which I think enhanced the confusion of whether it's an opera or, or musical theater show. But it wasn't because he wanted to create something other than an opera. He wanted to carry an opera. He wanted to bring American music into this tradition, but rather that he wanted to control the casting himself. He didn't want to turn that over to a large institution that was bound by contract to its chorus to, to use the you know, actors that he didn't choose. So he really, I think, it's a kind of endorsement of the talent that he saw among these performers, that he insisted on telling a story that, that featured African Americans, but also featured African, you know, their artistry to bring it to life. And for me, that that is an incredible part of the story. 
Well, and and by insisting on having singers of color, did this provide opportunities that might not otherwise have been there for African American artists? Absolutely, and and it still uh, it, it still is a, a springboard for some uh, African American artists to this day. Most of the time, you you get the opportunity to to do this piece, and if you can sing Porgy, you can sing any major. Uh, bass baritone role in the operatic repertoire. Really? So it, it is, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So it's a challenging uh, role artistically, I mean, just, just to be able to sing it. Absolutely. Artistically, vocally, physically, um, everything that you can mention. Uh, most of the time, Porgy is on his knees, so he's on his knees for three hours. Uh, and he has to act and sing and communicate and do all the the, the necessary things that you need to do to portray the character with dignity. So it's definitely a role that, that um, once you get your teeth into, you know, it's, it's, it's a role that represents any grand operatic role. Uh, I personally have sung roles as varied as Don Giovanni and uh, the Flying Dutchman, um, as well as Porgy and Crown and Porgy and Bess. So, uh, I'm a, a true example of what kind of voice should be singing that role. And I, I take it, Daniel Washington, that you rather enjoy singing these roles. I do, I do. They're, they're uh, like I said, they're a challenge vocally, but also the, the, the opportunity to get to portray a role that, that has real meat and uh, is three-dimensional. And that's the important thing that I think everybody should, should know about these characters and about any character in, in any opera. These, all of these characters are three-dimensional characters with their flaws as well as their, their wonderful positive traits. Um, and I think that that's really one of the things that we can learn about uh, humankind, about, about us all, looking at a piece like Porky and Bess. There are certain things that, that just fit into what, how we are as human beings. Well, gentlemen, I, I congratulate you on what you have accomplished and are continuing to accomplish with the, uh, the Gershwin Initiative. Uh, a reminder that all the issues we've been discussing here will be taken in depth at the symposium this coming Friday at the Harlan Hatcher Graduate Library Gallery in the Ann Arbor campus of University of Michigan. Friday's session goes from 9 a.m. to 5, and it's uh, uh, free. Then the symposium continues on Saturday at 2 in the afternoon, also free. Uh, and by the way, they'll be streamed, too. I'll give you a way to find that in a moment. And then on Saturday night, the critical edition of Porgy and Bess. This is the premiere of the critical edition, is it not? Well, I'm, I think of it actually as the test performance because we're not finished with the edition and it will be, you know, there are a lot of things to update and change. Ah. And we've already found quite a few, you know, everything from typos to, you know, maybe things we want to th think about. So this won't be the finished form of the edition. So we'll be continuing to revise. So it's, it's like a sneak preview. It's sort of, yes, yeah, sneak preview would be a good way to think of it. And that, that'll be at 7.30 at Hill Auditorium, and there are, there's, a, uh, there's a charge, but it, it's, it looks quite reasonable to me. You can get more information on all of this at the website ums.org slash porgy. I strongly recommend checking this out because you'll be seeing history on stage at the Hill Auditorium. 
I want to thank Daniel Washington and Mark Clegg at the University of Michigan for your time. Gentlemen, uh, again, congratulations. Thanks so much. It's been great talking with you.